please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is the word of the Lord. It's always good to be back to Grace Church. I love the simplicity of this church and the warmth and the acceptance of one another. So grateful. I don't think I will be speaking in tongues, <laughs> but... I will definitely be speaking English with an Asian accent. <laughs> so I hope you can tag along and understand what I'm trying to communicate. You know, there are times that I try to communicate like a Westerner, and it doesn't work. <laughs> I confuse people much more. So let me keep to my own Sri Lankan Asian accent. And my prayer has been that God will minister to both you and to me. This is a great passage that we are focusing on. As I read through this passage, <clears throat> I recognized there were three truths that leaps out of this passage. So you'll see some of the, the slides on. And the first one is in Colossians 4.2, which is continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And I titled it as Call to Personal Prayer and Thanksgiving. And you have celebrated the thanksgiving. And I think it is an important truth that as a believer we come in prayer and in thanksgiving. The second truth that I found out was in Colossians 4.3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. And I titled this as the mystery of Christ. The third one is in Colossians 4, verses 5 to 6. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, and by the word you outsiders, it means to those who are, of, who are not of our faith. Making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. Season with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person and I title it as, Call to be a Gracious Witness. And prayerfully, I grappled with this passage for a couple of days because it is one thing to be able to preach, but it is important for me to recognize that you are trying to, to expound God's very words to the people of God. 
And that is not an easy call. It is a sacred and a holy duty. So I grappled for a long time, reading through the scriptures, praying, and I have prayed as much as I can. And so let's dive in now to see what God is bringing to our focus today and for this season. As I grapple with this passage, I recognize the key to understanding this passage lies in the understanding, the meaning of the phrase, mystery of Christ. Paul uses this word four times in the book of Colossians. And I also recognize that Paul uses this word 21 times in his epistles. Paul in Colossians 4.3 says, he lets us have a glimpse of what this word mystery means. So let me quote again verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ for which I am in prison. And Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel. So perhaps the mystery of Christ is connected with the proclamation of the gospel. But is it completely the mystery of Christ? I think it is partially, but not the total truth. As you read through the Old Testament, there were many biblical promises of the coming of the Messiah. Some assume Messiah was going to come to establish the king of, kingdom of David back again. The apostles who lived with Christ for three long years, who witnessed his death, the resurrection, even after his resurrection was confused. So they asked this question in Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? This is, this is the problem for the Jewish community, even today. They did not expect him to be born in a stable. They did not have a clue about the virgin birth. They had no understanding of his death. And worse, Satan did not understand it either. If Satan knew what was to be the outcome of his death, he would not have engineered his death on the cross of Calvary. So I want to take your attention to another document that Paul wrote to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. Here is the mystery being unfolded because on the cross of Christ, he paid the penalty for my sin, for our sins. But there is much more. So it starts with verse 17 by saying, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The cross did not only pay the penalty. Now listen to verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. We are reconciled to God. Ladies and gentlemen, 
you and I have been reconciled to God. We are friends with God. No wonder God was able to call us his friends. And not only have I been reconciled to God, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The Jews and the Gentiles were brought together. The gospel, the mystery of Christ brought us together. In verse 19, 19 it says, that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. In verse 21 it says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When we focus on this verse in our theological teaching, we would say, I have inherited the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. I hope we can grapple and understand that. When the mystery of Christ, when he died, he paid the penalty for my sin. But, much more, he reconciled me back to God. I was not only reconciled back to God, but the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ was given to me when the Father sees me today. He sees not only my weaknesses, but he sees more than that. He sees the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, the mystery of the gospel. We are, <coughs> we are reconciled and the imputed righteousness of Christ has been given. This is grace, the mystery of the gospel. Satan wants to keep us away from this truth. He wants to remind me of my past. He wants to remind me of my weaknesses. But ladies and gentlemen, even though you and I are broken human beings living in a broken world, when the Father looks at me, the mystery of the gospel, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he sees me as someone who have inherited the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When I understand grace, worship becomes del delightful. When I understand grace, there is security and happiness. And when I understand grace, heaven becomes the reality. Pastor Dave mentioned, but my wife passed away. And it was my privilege to take care of her. But the final few days before she passed away, she called all of us to the room. She looked at me and she said, Adrian, I'm going to heaven. And then she told me, you cannot be discouraged or you cannot give in to discouragement and give up what God has called you to do. Be faithful to the task because I'm going to heaven. 
Then she told the children, take care of dad. Then she laid hands on the grandchildren and prayed for them. There was no crime. There was no sadness. And from that point onwards, I found out that she was almost in a different realm. She was praying and worshipping. Here in the midst of her life <clears throat> coming to an end, there was the security of heaven and she was relating to God and worshipping God in a completely different realm. That is our inheritance. We are here for a very short period of time. By the grace of God, he reconciled me. He reconciled you. He reconciled us to the Father. Our permanent inheritance is in heaven. I am sad that she's no more. But I'm glad that she's in heaven. There is no more pain. No more tears. Heaven is a real place where we worship real God. Having mentioned that, we will now continue with that passage. In Colossians 4.3 it says, At the same time pray also for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery. Now I want you to understand the context in which Paul is writing these epistles. He was in prison. I would have imagined Paul telling the Colossians, you guys, you know why I'm in prison. I'm in prison because I preach the gospel. So would you guys have a fasting prayer session for me so that I'll be delivered from this prison? That's not his focus. Paul is not asking Colossians to pray for his deliverance from prison. But he's asking for something different. Pray that I will be able to declare the mystery of Christ. Prison was inconvenient for Paul. But people are moving to a Christless eternity. He forgot his inconvenience. And his focus is, I must share Christ with the broken world. In the country that I live in, and in the continent that I minister in Asia, millions, millions are moving to a Christless eternity. This year, the total population of the world reached the 8 billion mark. 8 billion people walk on this planet Earth. According to Pew Foundation and the Barna information, the Christian population is close to 2.3 billion, or some say it is perhaps 3 billion. 8 billion people in this world, almost 5 billion people are moving to a Christless eternity. Paul is saying it is inconvenient for me to be in prison. But it is dreadful for me to think that people are moving to a Christless eternity. And I don't have the luxury of living in self-pity 
and asking you to pray for my deliverance. But I would rather ask you to pray that God will help me to declare the mystery of Christ to the people in a lost and a dying world. We are here as a family trying to recover, to grieve through the process. And I thought God will be kind enough to say, yeah, you need to be recovering. But as I was praying, throughout these few days, the one thing that comes over and over again to my mind is this. Ophelia is in heaven. There is a community that is moving to a Christless eternity. Your focus must not be self-pity and discouragement, but reaching out to those who are outside. By his grace, he has reconciled me to God and he has reconciled you to God. We have the assurance of heaven. But five billion people live outside without that assurance. And it is only you and I who can make a difference. God is not going to send angels God is not going to proclaim from heaven, but God's answer to the lostness of humanity is just you and I. It's us. One of the things that Ophelia taught me over and over again in life is no matter what kind of pain we are in, there is a dying world. We would take her to hospital and the nurses are pumping chemotherapy into her body. While they're pumping chemotherapy, she would share the gospel with them. The final week, we finally decided that we need a professional nurse to come and take care of her. The first thing she did when the nurse came was just talk to her and lead her to the Lord. In the midst of pain, in the midst of living in a broken world, in the midst of more, so much suffering, ladies and gentlemen, there is a greater suffering in the world. People are moving to a Christless eternity and it is only you and I. I said, we have about three billion Christians in this world. What if every single believer leads one person to Christ in the year 2023? One person. I don't think people have to do much. If all three billion, including you, lead one family to Christ in the year 2023, it's going to become six billion people. It's not a difficult ask. It is something within my reach. Just praying for one family, asking God for grace. And I have been told I have only 30 minutes today. And so let me move on. Look at Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 to 6. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Now Paul is speaking to us. Walk in wisdom towards those outside the church, those outside the kingdom of God, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. 
seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to witness, how to answer each person. I have a diagram. Yes, it's there. Look at this. We are saved by grace. It's not anything that we do. It's a gift from God. Then in, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, we are sanctified by grace. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't change. We can't change. But grace changes us from the inside. That's what Paul said. Even though I was the one who persecuted the church, the grace of God changed me and transformed me. I wish I had more time, but I don't have the time, so I will just pass on to the next. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, sustained by grace. We are saved by grace, we are sanctified by grace, and we are sustained by grace. We are people who enjoy grace. Now let me say this. When you and I celebrate grace, we become gracious. When I understand grace, when I celebrate grace, I become grace, gracious. Ladies and gentlemen, when I celebrate grace, I become a gracious parent. Not a grumbling, bitter, and an angry father or a mother. When I celebrate grace, I become a gracious husband who cares and takes care of his wife the way the Bible calls us to take care of her. When I become a man of grace, graciousness becomes, and the church that I establish and the church I lead becomes a gracious church. And when we celebrate grace as a community, we become ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those outside. And what I'm going to say, I'm going to say with much trembling and fear. We are not soul hunters, but people that love their neighbors. In our community in, in Sri Lanka, all I hear is, we, are, we must save souls. I'm not sure of that terminology anymore. Am I there to save souls, or am I there to love my neighbor as myself? So much so in my community and in, in Asia, people are looking at us, here comes a soul hunter. I would rather become someone that loves the neighbor and I care for my neighbor rather than becoming a soul hunter who wants to grab him to my church. I am a gracious man because of the grace of God. I am not a sin hater, a sinner's hater. But I am called by the grace of God. God makes it within me to be a man of deep compassion. So that when I see the sinners, rather than hating them, I become a gracious man with deep compassion and care who wants to come alongside them. That was the accusation against Jesus Christ. Look at him. 
He's a friend of sinners. Look at the people who surrounded him. I think the church of God has become thou art holier sometimes. And we have built barriers. And Paul is saying, be gracious, seasoned with salt. I think we have come to a point where we define ourselves by the negatives. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't dance, I don't commit adultery. But I think we should define by the positives. I'm a man of compassion. I'm a man of love. I come, come alongside the girl that got into trouble and she's pregnant and I want to care for her. That's the call of God on the church. Not to condemn, but to come alongside. I've been reading surveys about the younger generation because I'm very concerned that the younger generation is staying away from church. And as I looked at all the research, one of the key things that gets highlighted is the church is very judgmental. And because the church is judgmental, I don't want to be a part of that community. Jesus was not judgmental. You remember the woman who was brought, who was caught in act of adultery? And all these guys, the so-called righteous, was condemning this lady and said, we need to stone her, but we want to ask you. You remember the words? Woman, where are those who condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I think we have preached so much hellfire sermons. I think the church needs to pause and take on the attitude of Christ. Who left the glory of heaven and took on the rags of humanity. That's what the commentators say. He took on the rags of humanity because he saw the depraved community. That was repulsive for him. He could have condemned us. He could have condemned me. But he didn't condemn me. He saw my depravity of sin and my being involved in sin. But he came out looking for me. He came out looking for you. And the Paul, is, Paul is calling the church and saying, be gracious to those outside the kingdom. They don't need any more condemnation. They know they are condemned. They need the love and the care and the attention. When I was a young man, I was completely lost. I had no connections with the church. I never understood the gospel. But there was one man who was willing to love me as I had never been loved before by anyone. Never. And I accepted the Lord because of his love. And a few years later, I understood the gospel. God is calling us 
to be men and women of grace, not only to celebrate, but to be men and women of grace in the community that we live in. Let me conclude. My daughter says, I will say that, conclude and I'll go on for another hour. <laughs> but I won't do that today. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, you can check this out when you go home. He says, he was full of grace and truth. And in my country, that's the philosophy and the strategy of our ministry. I would go out to the Buddhists, the Hindus, and the Muslims, and in all across Asia, I would begin with grace. You know why? Because grace opens the door for people to understand truth. When I start with truth, my truths of Christianity clashes with the truths of Buddhism, and immediately there is a barrier. But I can go into the community as a man of grace who have understood the grace of God. I was not worthy, but he made me worthy. I was nobody, but he made me a child of God. I was on my way to destruction, but he reached out to me by grace. I celebrate the grace and I reach out to my people graciously because it opens the door for truth. Shall we pray? Father, what a, what a joy it is to know that I am reconciled to the Father. God, you're not angry with me. You have embraced me like the story of the prodigal son. You reached out to me. And Father, I pray that I will not only just celebrate, that I will become a man of grace who reach out to the world graciously so that they too can become children of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.